Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening. And please, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello, everyone. Dave. Hi there. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we started with Good Thing. Uh, Craig, Thing One Good. All right, so this week, uh, as you guys are probably anxious to hear about, I have a mobile game. I don't actually know how much of our demographic even, like has android i don't know if this stuff is on apple i'm sure some of them are but uh this week i have a game called cell to singularity i was gonna pull it up i'll I'll pull it up in a moment and put it in our discord but uh so it's it's one of those idle games idle clicker games um which i know doesn't sound too exciting Uh, if you play cookie clicker then you sort of understand what the heck i'm talking about but the neat thing about this game is that it's about evolution it's about starting with an amino acid uh, on this, you know, hot, burning, pre-civilization, pre-life Earth, and moving up the steps to evolve life, and uh, you know, go through, get fish, get early mammals, get humans, and then from there, you also get to go through the technological progress of man. So you start in a Stone Age, and then uh, you get through to the you know Bronze Age, Iron Age, all the way up, Industrial Revolution today and beyond. Go colonize Mars eventually. Um, so I was actually surprised at it. I didn't think I'd really care for it too much, but then it's it drops little bits of factoids in there, and I just I just love the the idea related to around seeing how different things interact um, to get uh to get where we are today, to get modern animals and humans and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Plus, there's a side mode that has dinosaurs. So if you like dinosaurs. There's also that. And it plays slightly differently, so there is some variety in the game itself. Anyway, it's free. That's the whole point. It's good. It's free. Just go try it out. Uh, you don't like it after an hour, then whatever. No no big deal. Compare and contrast to the Super Nintendo game uh, EVO, <laughs> The Search for, no. for Eden. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Actually, I think it's more accurate in terms of evolution compared to EVO. So there you go. All right, so since I liked EVO, I won't like this. Got it. Now, now, I didn't say that. I just said it was different. I like EVO as well. It's just so goofy. But that's, that is, I would say that's a good thing. All right, I'll post a link in our Discord, and you guys can check it out on Android. I don't know if it's on the Apple Store. Um, good luck to people who have Apple. Uh, all right, so Dave, you're up next. What's What's your good thing? My good thing this week is, I wanted to mention it last week, but Craig wasn't here because I think he likes YouTube channels and some of the same ones I do. And my good thing this week is Jaden Animations. It's a I've seen YouTube her. channel. She's like uh, draws. She's like a cartoon with a purple shirt and cool brown hair and stuff. But she just talks about video games sometimes and does a lot of like Pokemon stuff. But mostly just talks about things and stuff. And she's pretty cool. Really. Uh, relaxed streamer touches up on some like serious topics here and there which is cool and uh she's done some collaborations with the drawfee channel as well so yeah just uh enjoyed watching a lot of her videos the last couple weeks wanted to give her a shout out Jaden animations 
on YouTube. J I E D E N animation. Jaden animation. Dot YouTube. All right. Uh, anybody got anything for this? Nope. Uh, I guess Craig didn't really know about that. <laughs> no, I told you I've seen her stuff. She does you know stories and stuff, and they're enjoyable. Cool. All right. Uh, so my good thing this week. Uh, I want to give a quick preview to a future good thing that I'm eventually going to get to uh, of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I have started watching that, but that's not my good thing yet because I'm not far enough into it to 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 really go into it. My good thing this week is uh, H-Bomber Guy. Uh, specifically, last night I watched his uh, Fallout 3 video and his Fallout New Vegas video, and they are both really, really good, uh, very in-depth um, sort of game review kind of things for games that have been out for a very long time, so it's not like, you know, a, hey, go buy this new game. No, it's, it's hey, Fallout 3 is terrible. Here are very, very well-researched and thought-out reasons why, and Fallout New Vegas is amazing. Here are very well-researched and thought-out reasons why, and yeah, that was like two and a half hours of my night. H Bomber Guy on YouTube. Anybody? Nobody? Nope. Never heard of him. Hmm, nope. Nope. Are are you familiar with Fallout three and or New Vegas? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> heard of them. Post the link in the Discord. I will later. Probably after recording. Uh all right. Well then I guess Tori, you're up. Um continuing from a previous good thing. Dragon Prince Season 3. I finished it. It was so good. It was so good, you guys. I liked it. And the show creators say that it's going to be seven seasons altogether, and Netflix has already optioned it for the rest of them, so we're going to get the whole story, one hopes. But, um, yeah, Season 3 left off in a good place, and lots of stuff happened, and I was impressed with it. I just love the dialogue on that show. And, yeah, fun fantasy series um safe for littles to watch with you um so yeah family friendly good show i just wish good animation didn't take so long because like that seventh season might be here in a decade i don't know these netflix shows have been going pretty fast uh all right dave you i'm sure have something to say about dragon prince season three i've seen it i'm glad to hear that they're you know planning the whole seven book uh, series that's pretty cool i didn't actually realize that so that's good news i'm trying to remember yeah, i mean i don't like with i can't remember like specific details about season three necessarily uh, it's actually been a while since i watched it maybe like right. six months all right well then dave why don't you tell us about something that you experienced more recently uh like chapters 50 through 54 of the boards of radiance by brandon sanderson no, I was actually going to see if you could tell us about your uh, your your Amazon package that you got that is next to the keyboard on your couch. <laughs> uh, I think that was uh, a Bluetooth receiver for a controller, like a USB Bluetooth receiver. Okay. Now it's just an empty package. Well, all right then. This is what this is the thing. All right, uh, but I'll talk about chapters fifty through fifty-four of what you call it instead. All right, I, chapter I fifty. Chapter 50, level 300 jewel crafter looking for work. I mean, uncut gems. Sadius is a jerkwad. Someone is playing Final Fantasy 14. There's no jewel crafter in Final Fantasy 14. There's a there goldsmith. There should be. There's a goldsmith. That's true. Uh, uncut gems was a pretty good movie that I don't want to watch again. 
I've never heard of it. Uh, it's an Adam Sandler movie. It's on Netflix. Sadius is a jerkwad. If I were paying better attention, I should probably be able to name all these bridgemen. 32 days. The numbers were written by Dalinar's own dagger. Uh, I guess a high storm happened here. And uh, I think this is from Adeline's perspective. And we don't, you know, we get like vague descriptions of Bridgman because he's not personal with them. Uh, but, you know, I should probably recognize who they all are. And I don't, I don't, I didn't. <laughs> it so, was like, I feel like I failed the pop quiz here on, on Bridgman. I think in spoiler time last week, Tori and I talked about how, like, they're, there are whatever number of bridgemen, and most of them don't have names or um, personalities yet. And so whenever Brandon needs one, he just like reaches out and like, all right, this guy's a bridgeman. I think Teft was pretty thoroughly described as being among Adolin's guards today. Right. There, there's like the core group, and then there's there's some nebulous number of bridgemen who survived, you know, working for Sadius that that functionally don't exist until Brandon needs to throw a name out. Yeah. All these guards are bridge four, aren't they? Knowing Brandon, he has come up with the, the actual schedule of guard duty that every single bridgeman has. He doesn't, he doesn't show you it, but he has it. It's there. It exists. No, 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 no. Brandon doesn't do that. Brandon has a person who does that for him. That's true. Like (laughs) he, one, one of the, this is an actual One thing. Editors. One of the people uh, who works for Dragonsteel, part of their job is to track high storms and make sure that that it meshes properly with the stuff that Brandon writes. Hmm. So, like, so so what you're saying is that Tor, the publisher, has an actual storm warden on staff. Like that's their job. No, 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 not Tor. Dragonsteel. Like a- they're like a reverse storm warden. They like they see the storm first, and then they say, "Did that fit into the schedule correctly?" Um, but yeah, there there is someone at Dragonsteel uh, who I'm sure they have many other things that they also do. But this is one of the things that they do is they keep track of 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 this. And I cannot remember for the life of me who this per- like what this person's name is. I would love to give them a a proper shout out, but it's that information is completely gone from my brain. I, I think it's not probably mentioned him in acknowledgments and stuff. Yeah, it's not Peter Alstrom. Uh, I know that it is someone else who works at Dragonsteel, and I'm just gone. And yeah, Trampy Knight is uh, corroborating this, but I I think he also doesn't remember the name, and he'll find it. Okay, so we'll get that later because Trampy Knight is a wizard and also a knight and a tramp. Live listeners are the best, and we love you. We have so many knights, it's great. So you just gotta right. make them a little bit more radiant. Uh so let's let's get back to the, the bullet points. Dave couldn't remember all the bridgemen. Yeah. Thirty two days. I guess that's the next like uh the the recompense is coming in thirty two days or whatever. And then the, they realize that Dalinar has been writing the death notes with his own two dagger. So I mean, one dagger. You didn't say Dalinar did it. You just said his dagger did it. I think well, that's that, true. I think a rogue awakener from uh, Nalthus showed up and awakened his dagger, and the command they gave was carve numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, there is actually. So what you're saying is Nightblood Junior has a a particular command to just write numbers on the and and somehow Dalinar has the dagger no to less. to carve numbers and and yeah they they figured this was a much safer command than Nightblood. It's extraordinarily expensive to do this. Like it's it's like thousands of breaths, but but they did it. I don't know why, but they did it. Carve. So what happens numbers. if it decides to carve numbers in someone? I mean that was the actual intention, but uh, it, just, it just writes on the wall instead. But yeah, the it got because you know a clear knives, vision of what they were saying. Knives don't understand the difference between walls and people. True. So this, I think people are just really soft, mobile walls. Yeah, I mean they're basically the same thing if you if you think about it. There you go. That's a little sneak peek into our spoiler session later, <laughs> where we're actually going to talk about the fact that the numbers are counting down to when Dalinar's library books are due. <laughs> Tori, you're so angry. Return those books. Oh my gosh, Dalinar, your fines are through the roof. Get those books back. But Dalinar only ever checks out one book. Oh, uh, according That's to Trampy Knight, it is Karen Alstrom. So I presume that would be Peter's wife. Karen Alstrom, Storm Warden. That'd be a cool job. I mean, I'm pretty sure any job at Dragonsteel would be a pretty cool job. Yeah. But you get a fancy title and everything. Um, what I would like is a few weeks worth of access to his private wiki. That that would be what I would like. Because Brandon keeps a, a private internal wiki for the Cosmere. And it, it has all the stuff that hasn't made it into books yet. Sounds thrilling. So, Dave? Yep. Do you have a private wiki? No. Everything is frogs. Well, thanks for listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. This week. <laughs> and then all the other stuff that Tori says at the end that I haven't actually listened to since she recorded it. Our traveling song is McGillicuddy's by Made Up Continent. What is happening? Dave's about to tell us about the rest of the chapters. Uh-huh. Any questions about chapter 50? Um, so there, there is actually suspicion. Like, oh, did someone sneak in, grab the dagger, and write the number? And then I think it's Navani that says, no, or it's either Navani or Downer that says, oh, the simplest... Answer is probably correct. Occam's razor. So Fred I have wrote a the numbers on this on the wall. Who do you think wrote the numbers, Dave? Do you believe in Occam's razor here? It was probably Dalinar. But I thought, well, Navani wasn't here during this high storm, but she's watched him during high storms, which is kind of interesting. Did That's he name little... his dagger Occam and then use it to shave? Occam. Is this the critic? So chapter 51? Sure. Chapter 51. Oh, yeah, part of Chapter 50, Sadius was a jerkwad. I don't remember what he did, but he probably didn't have to work that hard for me to write that. He's just taunting Adeline as he does. Yeah. Tries to overthrow the kingdom as he does. Yeah. You know, Sadius right. stuff. Chapter 51, heirs, except today. Gallant, Eshenai. Things have changed. Important things. No peace till Brooklyn. Uh, so Adeline... Bars his brothers, Aka, his former father's former, not his father, the shard plate that his brother has that used to be his dad's. He bars that so that he can pretend to be Dalinar and go out and meet the Parshendi dip diplomat, who we know as Eshenai, and he meets her and she's like, I changed my mind. We're going to kick your butts. No peace treaty. And that's basically it. I wonder what brought on this change of mind. Storm form. 
I mean, that's what I'm, I'm guessing. Nah, that couldn't be it. An Awakener from Nalthus uh, came and awakened yes. Eshenai's shard plate. <laughs> it's just the shard plate that's talking now. <laughs> with, with the command, no diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a useless command. I mean, clearly it's working. Carb numbers is more useful than no diplomacy. <laughs> if you want to awaken something. So, what what else is happening, Dave? They took span read notes, and you know, Downer tried to tell Adeline what to say, and so this know. is where Adeline had a span read in his ear, right? And they're they're texting him what he should say to Ash and I. Yeah, except his span read in his ear was a lady writing it down. <laughs> but basically, what did else happen here? I don't remember anything. Well, I didn't write down anything super important. He feels uncomfortable riding his dad's horse or something. I yeah, I mean, that. he got the, the bulk of it. It was supposed to be the, the diplomacy session. And Eshwin is like, ah, you guys suck. So, mm -hmm. And then there's this whole big down coming up with a plan to to assault the center during the uh, weeping. It's like the Zerg were getting ready to surrender, but then all of their mutalisks finally... Ben Kerrigan. Well, basically. Huh. There's, where's, who's the overmind in this case? A ca chasm fiend. Chasm fiend. What? So would that make Dalinar Jim Rayner? And, that would and... definitely make Sadius Arcturus Menx. Okay. Uh, who are the Protoss in this? The Spren? All right, that tracks. You know, somewhat related. I'm trying to convince my husband to start Twitch streaming. He plays Ooh, a lot of StarCraft. Yeah, see, I tell him, because I asked him the other day, because he hates his job. He's an engineer. I was like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And he's like, sit on my butt and play video games. And I was like, you can't do that. Just start <laughs> yeah. streaming it. Like, you're already playing the games. Just get a webcam and throw that puppy online. Like, people will watch it. It's true. I would so, follow so the trick. I'll watch it. If he wants a regular following, the trick is you want to you want to stream on a schedule. Like if you have a set schedule that you're always on, more and more people will come check you out and word of mouth will spread. If you're sporadic, you won't get as many followers. Yeah. Jet 082. <laughs> Yo, this is not my day job and I got baby now. I have no time to stream anything anymore. Anyway, back to our podcast. Chapter 52. Into the Sky. Oh, this is the montage chapter where we switch back and forth between Kaladin and Shallan. Uh, hey. Whoops, Kaladin slips into the chasm. Sadius is camp stinks. This is back to Shallan's part. Shallan is trying to dig up dirt on Amaran. Back to Kaladin. Lashing practice. Back to Shallan. Maps. Back to Kaladin. Whoops, Kaladin falls into a wall. Back to Shallan. Amaran was a storm warden? He wants to do what to the Voidbringers? Back to Kaladin. Kaladin's planet needs him. Everything changed. <laughs> well, he starts floating up into the air like right. Gucci when his planet needs him. <laughs> um, Shalon. Shalamaram. Oh, yeah. She disguises herself as Amaram to like and gets Pattern to copy the voice so that she can get out of her infiltration duty. Hilarion's blade. Uh, so, yeah, it turns out that the shard blade that Amaram has would belong to none other than Shallan's brother, Hilarion. So, good news. Our main protagonist killed the brother of our main protagonist. Because, remember, Kaladin actually killed him. But, you know. Wasn't but really Amaran is taking the credit. 
Europe, and all that comes with it. Oh no, dramatic irony. Back to Kaladin. In before Kaladin runs out of mana right before the weeping. Back to Shallan, back to Kaladin. What's the large, What's the range of lashing someone else? Can and so, uh, so you know how Sezeth would, you know, he would lash Adel into the wall and stuff, or like lash people and like send them up into the air. So if I were to lash myself upward, then I ran out of stormlight. I would fall back downward. Correct. Yep. So gravity what... would suddenly look directly in your direction and be like, you know what, you 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 belong down here now, and you get a stern talking to. From the ground. And you Un- unless you lash yourself sideways fast enough. Yeah, but if you run out of stormlight... into orbit? <laughs> well, you have to be outside of atmosphere, because otherwise the drag would continually slow you down. I don't know if that's the case, though, because when, when you're being lashed sideways, gravity is in a different direction. You're not flying, you're falling in a different way. No, but then when gravity changes back to point to the center of the planet, right, yeah, then yeah. that then that would be the centripetal force that keeps you in orbit. Yeah. Uh, you would keep your velocity, you know, tangent to yeah, you the don't, planet. Yeah, you don't lose momentum. You just, you are now being, you're having different forces applied to you. Anyway, the answer to your earlier question is if you lash someone else, it's when the stormlight runs out, then they stop. Who's, who's holding the stormlight and what's the range of it? Well, you apply the investiture to them. Well, the range when, is when five you, squares. When you touch I mean, them. That's, just, that's just standard range. So, Lashing you, is a touch attack. Sure. That's not five squares. It's five, that's whatever. But the point is, like, I lash you upward. Huh, I lash. <laughs> <laughs> if I lash you upward, how and, like, how does it, when does, does it continually draw stormlight, or does it take a chunk of stormlight and go on to you? It you takes, apply... It takes a, a chunk of, of stormlight. Yeah, yeah you apply a chunk of stormlight. All right, so the stormlight actually stays with the person that was lashed and then gradually runs out from there. Yes. Not, it's not being drawn from me. Right. Okay, after I've already done the lashing. I see. It's, okay. it's a spell that costs a specific amount of mana. Okay, and then the, the however much mana you put in there would determine the duration, I guess. Yeah, yeah. basically. Which level spell slot you use? We can't have an MP system and also a spell slot system. You you cannot do both. They don't work. Yeah, I think we got to go mana with this case. It, it makes more okay. sense. In that case, it's Lash, Lasha, Lashaga. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lashaga. All right, then. Uh, so, okay, that explains what's the range of lashing someone else. And then Kaladin asks Sylphrena, can a new blade be reforged? And... Or can a new, not reforged, it's new. Can a new blade be forged? And I say, let's ask Shy. Shy can forge anything. Probably even a soul blade or a shard blade. And I think then, that's the wrong kind of forge. Or is it? It is a capital F. Or was it? No, maybe it wasn't. I think it was a lowercase F. Ah, whatever. Kaladin thinks about killing Amaram again. Uh, Shen must leave. Hang on. Tori, can you remember the shy shard blade thing? I want to touch back on that in spoiler time, please. Sure. Because I feel like there's something there. All right, Dave. Sorry. Please continue. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Shen must leave and Ralai, which is Shen's real name. Ralai. Relaine. There's an N at the end. Yeah. I guess I mistyped that on my phone. Relaine. 
or autocorrect, okay. tried to fix it, and w- got about halfway there and was just like, man, I don't know. My phone doesn't usually doesn't really autocorrect. It does try to autocomplete there. Alright, any questions about chapter 52? Shalon snuck in, uh, took memories of some maps in Amaram's chambers, found out that uh, he was trying to summon the Voidbringers or something, and Kaladin did a training montage in the middle of the montage. And then Shen has to leave. So what do you think of Kaladin flying? I expected it. But what, isn't it hold cool? on, hold on, hold on. Kaladin is not flying. He's falling with style. That's true. Upward. That is true. He is falling. I, I even made that distinction earlier. And it's just easier to say flying. So Did was we was an Ender's Game reference yet? The enemy's gate is down. Uh, yes, for Calvin, that is always true. My brother did in Discord. <laughs> I wonder if Brandon actually took that line from Toy Story as as like, oh, I could make an entire magic system around this. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I can I can make people fall in style. Let's do that. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I can make two entire magic systems around this. Talking toys and falling with style. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly we have both Warbreaker and Stormlight Archives. Done. Yep. Nailed it. Have Buzz Lightyear find your keys. All right. And so what do you think about the big revelation that it's Shalon's brother that is dead? I forgot he existed. Okay, that's fair. And he doesn't anymore, so... She does have, like, a bajillion brothers. But he was the oldest who... Who I remember him having early. a shard blade in one of the one of the pasty chapters. Yeah, yeah. So, did you guys watch Lost? No, nope. well, I watched the first couple seasons, and yes, then I sort I of the got bored. Okay, so there was this thing in Lost where every single person on the island had all these like weird, in- inconsequential connections with each other that none of them knew about, and I feel like we're getting into some of that here. Right, that makes sense. And you have little connections like, oh, look, it turns out that the the brothers and the roommates and everything, whoa. Mm-hmm. What does that make us? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely Baseballs. nothing. Baseballs. Nope. That's the reference, one. Craig. Yeah, I, I, I am aware of that reference. <laughs> I, I am married to someone who loves Mel Brooks. Oh, I hope she loves you more, though. But do you well, also me. love Mel Brooks? Because you should. Me? I, I, yeah, he's, he's good. That sounds like somebody who doesn't love Mel Brooks. I'm I don't go around quoting his things. That's that's the difference. The difference between like and love is you have the quotes like ready to go. An archery contest. In reality, I like I'm to actually say quite large. Is only pawn in Game of Life. That's a good one. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Mel Brooks deep dive podcast. <laughs> uh, I would recommend not going through all of Mel Brooks. Yeah, there's there's some not great stuff, but when when he's good, he's the best. Yeah. Unlike some Robin Hoods, I speak with an English accent. Oh, there the you brand. go. See, I know some. Uh, so Carrie Elways was playing the exact same character in The Princess Bride and Robin Hood Men in Tights, right? Sure seems like it. Yeah. Okay. Is this a crossover fanfic? Sure seems like it. Anyway, well, what were we talking about? Uh, Mel Brooks. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how we got off on this tangent. Oh, we were talking about the little connections, and yeah, it turns because out everybody's connected. Calding Salon's brother. Wait, is that a capital C connection or a lowercase? So, C so connection? the big question for you, Dave, is where the heck did Helleron get a shard blade? 
He got it in the pasty chapters. I told you. Okay. I don't he know where did Shalon get one. Yeah. He got it from the past chapters. From somewhere, there's a link to the past. Probably, there's probably just a bunch of, like sitting in the chasms or something. If you look hard enough. <laughs> like here, it's just a sharp blade just chilling down there. Yeah, remember like during the recreants when all the Knights Radiant left all the shard blades on the grass? Yeah. And, and everyone I distinctly went, remembering I mean, a bunch of people fighting over those shard yeah, blades. Yeah, they fought over them, but they didn't find all of them. Some of them just got buried by Krem. And then, actually, you know what? What? How about, what if one of the shard blades was actually a plateau? Like, because most of the plateaus seem to be like structures... There were actually man-made structures that were covered with creme over a long period of time. What if there's actually, like, a little mini plateau that's actually a shard blade? Maybe that's where he got it. Okay, I'm going to throw out some knowledge here. So, Dave, you probably don't know this yet, but uh, when a shard blade isn't actively bonded to anybody, uh, it cannot be, like, unsummoned. It can't poof away. Right. Uh, I bet... There were at least some people who put their blades um, point down into the ground, and at some point, while point down into the ground, they were unbonded. And some shard blades, I bet, don't have hilts. They just have handle, like they don't have guards. They just have handles. So point down, no handle to block going deeper into the ground. I bet that there is some non-zero number of shard blades just sitting at Roshar's core, hanging out. Um, if they're affected by gravity, wouldn't they like keep oscillating back and forth? Yeah, I don't think it would get. Well, there, is a, the uh, there is a small amount. There is a small amount of friction with the shard blade, more than Moash expected, or something. I mean, there's. I think it would just be in the cross churning. Do they have earthquakes? We haven't gotten a reference of that, have we? I don't think so. Hmm. Um. Or there's like various cavern systems that just have. You know, some also non-zero number of blades just just sort of chilling on the ground in caverns that nobody has ever been in. I mean, you see that thing all the time in Breath of the Wild, so... <laughs> Why don't we move on to Chapter 53? I guess so. Chapter 53. Perfection. Adeline wins. Adeline knows Pete's name. 2v1. High Prince Yenev. Uh, yeah. Adeline wins his duel against that guy's sissy cousin. Uh, I don't know what he did wrong this time, but he's still being accused of not fighting properly. I don't know. But he, this time so he actually... this is where he wears him down with small strikes, and I think he, he takes off little bits of the armor at a time. Like He's just so much better than this goober, whatever his name is. Elite. That yeah. It's just like you're playing games. Like, you know, he gets accused of playing games. It's... Adeline can do nothing right. <laughs> like, politically, he's just, something's going to be called out, and he's just tired of this, because people won't fight him. Uh, remember that scene in Gladiator when uh, Russell Crowe just, like, murders all those dudes in zero time, and the crowd boos him? Right. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's what they came here for, but it's not what they came here for. Yeah, they no, wanted I think a to bunch see Adeline get spanked. I think a bunch of people are showing up just to see if Adeline will eventually lose at this point. Um, but yeah, uh, Adeline doesn't actually break any of the pieces of, of plate. He just he just basically 
gives him little little taps to drain out the stormlight until he just can't move. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it runs out of stormlight, and then he pushes him over, and then he can't stand up. Mm-hmm. It's mm. it's pretty demoralizing to this guy to be just so thoroughly destroyed that way. It's embarrassing, which is the point. It's what Adeline was going for. Yep, and he actually knows Pete's name. That's one of the bridge guys. Adeline knows then... everyone's name. He didn't in the previous chapter. And then he learned it, and now he knows it forever. Adolin, Adolin makes it a point to get to know people. So Shalon goes to meet him after the duel, and she's like, I have a secret weapon for you after you take me out to dinner tomorrow. And then Adolin is like, oh boy, I'm going to schedule a 2v1 matchup. And I, I hope the secret weapon's good, because I just scheduled a 2v1 matchup like right in front of you. And then the, the referee lady is there, and she witnesses the 2v1 challenge, and she's like... Do you know what you've done? And he's trying to make like a spectacle of all the duels and stuff. So I think this is like older cousin that was like mad for uh, his younger cousin getting spanked, Elit getting spanked. So now like it's going to be older cousin plus one versus Adolin. But uh, we don't know yet who the plus one's going to be. Uh, maybe it'll be Sadius. Probably not. That would get things moving. I think if you're going to make it a 2v1, you probably shouldn't put up your all of your family's shards. Adeline is just that good, though. Interesting enough, is it? you got to make the stakes high enough so people will actually duel you. Mm. Uh, he doesn't know who the plus one is, so it's pretty sketch. Is there really anyone that the book has mentioned that can be Alan, though? Like, unless, maybe Dalinar, but I don't... I don't, I don't maybe it's well, Dalinar, I guess we'll have then. to see what happens, Zeth, huh? Zeth could be Zeth. <laughs> Adolin. That's true, Zeth could. Yeah. Maybe Kaladin. Well, anybody that's using Stormlight powers and stuff, probably, right? Maybe even Shallan could do it. Dang! <laughs> Get wrecked, Adolin. I don't know. Um, yeah, alright. I forget who High Prince Yenev is and who mentions his name. Was it the referee that's like, do I need to remind you about High Prince Yenev or whatever? I forget. Uh, I also forget. By which I mean that I haven't been keeping up with my reading and the copper mine doesn't say. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, um, actually, I have no idea. It's right at the end of chapter 53, so I guess it wasn't that important. I didn't even need to write down his name, or did I? This could all be a ruse ploy. All right, so chapter 54. Chapter 54, the final chapter of this week's reading. Vale's lesson, and remember, Vale, vale is Shallan's character that she's playing as uh, Tyne's underling. Mrazy finds out about Vale's art skills and tine killingness. Wanna join the Ghostbloods? Shallan disguises herself as another horn eater. Oh wait, that was just an actual rock. And Dead Coachman. So Vale reports in after spying on Amaram's room and uh, you know, produces the the maps to show that they weren't slacking off this week. Which uh, the people watching, she did such a good job infiltrating that the Ghostblood spies in Amaram's mansion didn't actually realize that she was there. So well done, Shalon, on that. And she's like, uh, yeah, we got in there and I remembered the maps and I went home and drew them. And Marezi's like, prove it. Draw, draw this dude. Go. You have five seconds. And she impresses him. And he's like, that's a really useful skill. Maybe we could use you in the Ghostbloods. 
we don't we don't kill in the ghost bloods, but you're not a ghost blood yet. Nods to all of his cronies, and then she leaves and she disguises herself as a rock and uses uh, has pattern imitate her voice to send the coachman off. And then she has to walk home and she finds the coachman. The coach was exploded and coachman and some parchment were killed. Uh, and she feels remorse for sending them into danger without them knowing it. Uh, but yeah, but her fears were not unfounded and she got alive. And that's the end of chapter 54 uh, and this right. week's chapter. So yeah, and the ghost bloods have found out that, uh, Vale has killed uh, has killed Tyne, and they're like, "Who are you, really?" They don't know that Vale is Shallan, but uh, she's she's put some possible connections on the table that she's hoping that they won't follow. Find out. All right. Uh, I would like to ask you about the epigraphs. I've been reading them. Have you been paying attention to them? And is there any information there that you have been able to pick out that you? actually understand what's going on with uh not too much they seem to be describing the different orders of the knights radiant uh but i don't know one of them was nicer to spren or something um that's about it that's all i got out of them okay uh that's that's really all i have i don't really have anything for this chapter does anybody else have anything for dave i do not no i don't think so all right then let's kick dave out why'd you kick Uh, dave out of the house bye 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 dave Bye, Bye, Dave. All right, Dave's gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Uh, All right, so I think we should start with the epigraphs. Which, Go on. As Dave said... Uh, talks about different uh, different orders of the Knights Radiant, as they have been all part. Uh, in this one, we get um, in in chapter we started with chapter fifty, right? Yeah, chapter fifty is the Will Shaper one. Will Shapers apparently other orders don't like Will Shapers because they can't be counted on. They are erratic, capricious, frustrating, unreliable. So what would you say that's the case after reading Rhythm so of War? Far? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, hey, that... Hey, Vinley came around in the end. Well, I mean, she that did, is... but first she got her people destroyed. But before that, that is like Vinley's big complaint about Eshenai, right? Caprice is frustrating and unreliable. I don't know yes, if you ever call her un- unreliable. No, because Vinley was unreliable. over here like, I'm taking care of mom and Eshenai is off traipsing about mm. the countryside. Right. Back back when she was being an explorer and learning about new people, absolutely this was Eshenai to a T. And like and that was Venley's big complaint about Eshenai. Like that was yeah. that was their that was their personal chasm. Uh, I think it's unfair. I, I mean I think in general, reading the epigraphs, the views that the orders have against the others are a little oh, it's, lopsided. It's, it's definitely like an unreliable narrator kind of deal. Yeah. But um, I think it also gives us, you know, a good insight into potentially whatever order is writing this and also, you know, how mm-hmm. outsiders view these people. Right. Which which can be extremely valuable. Now, right. I believe this is not written by Iridian. This this is after where they're studying 
what was written about the older Knights Radiant, correct? This this is Words of Radiance, the book in the book. But they would have based it off of people who knew them. Yeah, yeah. So, whether through interviews or... Like, I just wanted to clarify, this is not sources. a Radiant who is writing this. Probably not. Uh, so, the next one is uh, talking about someone named Kazala. Uh, in short, if any presume Kazala to be innocent, you must look at the facts and deny them in their entirety. To say that the Radiants were destitute of integrity for this ex execution of one of their own, one who had obviously fraternized with the unwholesome elements, indicates the most slothful of reasoning, for the enemy's baleful influence demanded vigilance on all occasions of war and of peace. So, we have here evidence of Radiants holding a trial and executing one of their own. And that's all we hear about it. Yeah, uh, I... I I was curious after reading this, so I, I looked up Kazala in the Coppermind, and it's just this. It's just this epigraph. Yeah. But but yeah, apparently the uh the Radiants had had their own, I guess, legal system. So which included the possibility for execution. Uh and because this person was still considered a Radiant, they had not broken any of their oaths, but they yeah. had still broken uh I guess the, the laws sorting with unwholesome elements, whatever that means. Yeah, but what, like some it, sort it's of a law. Good point. They have not broken any of their oaths, but but they have broken you know some sort of law accord agreement badly enough to warrant execution. Right. Uh, next up, Truth Watchers, which we still haven't really seen a proper Truth Watcher. We we have one, and um, they goes along with with uh. Adeline and co in rhythm of war yeah that, that's that's the, the extent stump. of what we find out about truth watchers it it was the stump right yeah but yep. but we don't really get anything about her or from her right in those sections so we still basically just have renarin to to go off of and he's not a normal truth watcher you mean this epigraph where they're rather silent is absolutely true because <laughs> the stump ain't talking yeah Although part of that is language barrier. Sure. Um, and then next up, else callers are are supposed to be the diplomats to the Spren, which is exactly why Yasna didn't go on the trip to lasting integrity. She's busy being a diplomat for all of Elethkar. She's busy being a queen. Yep. And going into She's the front lines of battle for whatever reasoning she gave that was probably flawed. But it, hey. the important is that they are masters of the cognitive realm. I was going to say, never order someone to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, Sounds like Dalinar. And then, this one is, is possibly my favorite epigraph of this section. Uh, just because, you know, reading between the lines and, yeah. There came also 16 of the Order of Windrunners, and with them a considerable number of squires. And finding in that place the Skybreakers, dividing the innocent from the guilty... There ensued a great debate. <laughs> it's an old time you speak of. They fight, fight. Yeah, there was a lot of punching. I'm guessing. I also like that it's a considerable number of squires. There was like a thousand people here because Windrunners accumulate so many squires. Mm-hmm. And even and they're mm, so this is this is kind of a frustration point. Is that like the various orders of of Knights Radiant are. Like, their oaths run counter to each other a lot of the time. Right. So, like, Skybreakers and Windrunners don't get along because Skybreakers want to punish the guilty. Yeah. 
and and Windrunners want to protect everybody. Skybreakers and Will Shapers likely don't want to get or don't get along for the same reason, uh, because Will Shapers are all about freedom. So the two options that Skybreakers have for punishing the guilty, either killing them or imprisoning them, run counter to at least one other order each. Yep. And like Skybreakers are just like we just want to punish guilty people. It's <laughs> we have oaths too. Come on, guys. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of problems with the old, the Knights of the Old Radiance. Well, I mean, we've all seen how flawed the concept of destroy evil can get, so... I mean, yeah. Yeah, they should have wanted to carve numbers. I mean, clearly. All of these oaths should be, you know, tempered and at least a little bit by, you know, human discretion. And And and... keep in mind, this is after Spren started developing bonds. Whatever they were like before, whatever type of investor they had before on Ashen, was even worse considering how much damage they dealt to the planet. This is already investiture being tempered, and they still have problems with the oaths that they're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, call me an optimist, but I think Dalinar and Co. have a better handle on how these oaths should be done. But we do have a we we we, we don't have any dustbringers on board, and we don't have any. Uh, Skybreakers on board, so who knows? Well, we have one Skybreaker, but he's failed to follow Dalinar for now. Yep. Which, man, he needs to put some more thought into into his oaths, and I think he's just, just, just now starting to, as we get to the end of uh, Rhythm of War, is oh, vowing just to follow this one dude might not have been the best idea. Well, book five is his book. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about that thing that I meant, or that I wanted to get into once we got into spoilers. Yeah. So, Shy could totally undead-eye a spren, right? Like, with with the proper stamp and knowledge of of things? So, what you're saying is the dead-eyes is an aspect of their identity, and therefore it can be modified. Yeah, If she has proper connection. Because well, she basically rewrites the history of an object. Yeah, which ultimately changes its identity. Which in this case, the object would be a shard blade, and she could theoretically well, rewrite the history so that that bond was never broken. It, it would last. It, it would well, be she, one of those. She also she also manages to rewrite the histories of living people. So even if you want to consider the shard blades to be living people, because Sprint are people, she could still do it. Yep. So that seems like a viable workaround to the Deadeye problem. So, again, that just means you have to be able to modify its identity in that case. I'm And I'm, I'm not sure that soul stamps convinced. are not the only way to do that. Like, there yeah, have yeah. to be other other magic systems that allow for, you know, that level Shallan. of manipulation. Shallan is the identity master. But she doesn't have as much control as Shy does. Not even close. Yeah, yeah. I think she's worked as she becomes more comfortable with herself. I think she will get better. Um, honestly, now that we're talking about it, maybe. Sh- so originally I thought Maya would be the first undead eye, but now that we heard that they sacrificed themselves willingly, they just didn't know they would become dead eyes during the recreants. I'm now starting to think that maybe uh Testament will be the first undead eye being first dead eye being undead eyed. I mean, there's still a bond there. So, Right, right. It's, it's, 
it's working with the bond. You have the person, Shalon, who originally formed the bond. So I, I think it's easier to get Testament back than it would be for Maya to come back. Because Maya did so willingly, you'd have to make some heavy changes for her to want to not be a Deadeye anymore. I, and know, I feel, I feel like Adolin has put, in, has put in a lot more work on that front and yeah. has, has a stronger capital C connection, but he doesn't right. have a radiant bond is, is the bit he's missing. But we need more than just a connection with the sprint. Like that's that's part of it, which is why I think Adeline is doing so well. But I think there's something else that's needed to Whereas... get to the point where they won't be a dead eye. I think Shalon would be further along in that respect because Testament doesn't want to be a dead eyes. See, Shalon I... just broke her oath so devastatingly to to cause it. I I think that Shalon that. Adolin is actually further along because he has that better capital C connection, where Shallan's capital C connection to Testament is super duper weak. It's basically only held on by the Radiant Bond. Okay, my point isn't that... I agree, Adolin is further along. My point is that Shallan will get through the process faster. Her acceleration is faster than Adolin's. Adolin has more velocity currently. All right. (laughs) <laughs> now I'm just imagining this as like a Mario Kart track. <laughs> Shalon got the blue shell. Well, no in in your in your example, she would have mushrooms. Yes, because she has faster acceleration. Whereas uh, Adolin just it's it's the original Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. Adolin just has ten coins, so so he's got the better velocity. better at drift. But but yeah, Shalon just ran over a ran over a, a prize box and got a mushroom so she can accelerate. So so in reaction to Texas Blade going back to the whole Shy and forging thing, um, Shy is essentially the master of identity. Like, that's that's the end game. If someone were to be a complete expert, they would be like Shy. So I think Shalon is on that path. Shalon's younger than Shy, and she has problems with her own identity, which is something that's Shy, I think. And I think that's part of why they had to make the what five stamps their their own soul stamps like it's sort of you have to learn who you are and understand what you are capable of and your history and not accept that you want to be one of these other stamps the other stamps are useful but you are ultimately who you are and and your history makes that identity up so shy has i think accepted that shalon hasn't fully accepted that yet because she still has the multiple personality thing going on uh, all right, so what else happened in these chapters that we want to talk about? I have a few things. Before we get to your few things, Tori, do you have any things? <laughs> no, I don't have any things. Okay, then let's get to Craig's things. Yeah, Tori, you're always welcome to chime in. Don't don't feel like... I always have things, you guys know that. Yeah, um, we know. They're minor, though. Uh, first off, carved numbers. Uh, we know it's actually Renarin who's writing those numbers. He he is the one who can see the future. Um Okay, but what if nobody who thinks they know what's going on it actually knows what's going on, and it actually is a an Awakener from Nalthus coming in I and doing all this? I love how you kept throwing that out, because, um, yeah, we're, I don't think Craig was with us last time we talked about a um, Vasher chapter, but Dave is still not picking that up. Nice. Uh, I wasn't actually intending it to be like a, hey, stupid, here's Vasher. But 
but it works that way. It does. It, it's good to keep it in the front of his head, you know, Awakeners, Nightblood, yet yeah, it's it's there. When, when Nightblood pops up at the end of the book, he will see. I just, it's going to be great. I do like the idea of a rogue Awakener from Nalthus. <laughs> just like, all right, I have... Eight million breaths. I have taken all the breaths of every living person on Nalthus. And now I'm going to go to Skadriel. Or not Skadriel. Where are we? Roshar. Roshar. There we go. I'm going to go to Roshar. I'm just going to mess with people. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's another Hoyd. I mean, Hoyd doesn't... Hoyd's primary I'm purpose isn't people. screwing with people. He does it because it's fun and he can. Yeah. yeah. But his his primary purpose is giving giving significant people a significant nudge to achieve or significant his, goals. His own means. Yep. And also collect um, investiture as much as possible without opening himself up to shardic pokery. I.e., he doesn't want to get a, a hemallergic spike, even though that would make things way easier if he could, because it would open him up to to being messed around with by shards right well Which, back on what we actually know renarin is the one who wrote the numbers hey that plan was... worked super well right uh not opening him up, himself up to uh being messed around with by shards that plan worked at the end of rhythm of war big successful yeah. plan very yeah sure when you mess with the shards they will mess back they will find a way that's the lesson i learned but i think for the end of rhythm of war i don't think hoid even expected race to be dead it's right. sort of like yeah race is still around like he he's powerful like he wasn't in the situation that lyris was in as as preservation was being smothered by ruin like that's not the case we have like race should be strong he destroyed honor cultivation's just doing stuff in the background but what really ended up happening is race is dead and i don't think hoyt accounted for that he knows how to handle race he doesn't know how to handle um Taravandian. Or what, what do we call them? Odavangium? Uh, Vargodium. Vargodium. Oh, Toadium. Taodium. No, Vargodium. Uh, no, no, no. The subreddit calls him Toadium. I don't care. Okay. Vargodium oh, is I a do. better name. It, it, it rolls better. Well, good luck getting that to pass. I mean, I'm still fond of Taravangianium, but nobody else is. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> what the metal would tell. be. And I... I wonder if Brandon thought that through. So, Renarin writing the numbers. He can see a bit into the future. And it still annoys me that it's like, oh, looking in the future is a thing of the Voidbringers. Like, you're not going to get stuff done if you're just ignoring information. So I'm glad we have Renarin on Team Radiant, because otherwise, these guys would get nothing done. Oh, I remember a thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. Uh, there was mention of... Um... The Chasm Fiends being the Parshendi gods and of um, how something about bringing the Voidbringers down on us with Chasm Fiends. And it just got me thinking about, you know, they're related somehow, Parshendi and Chasm Fiends. And, like, we need to go back and look at this more closely. I don't remember it off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, that came up in these chapters. I don't think they're related related. They have gem hearts. They're they're clearly all from the same planet. Okay, so what if? But it's like how we're related to cows. Like okay, it's so distant. So the the lost listeners ha now have a pet chasm fiend, right? Yep. At least one. And at least one. Yes. 
in one of Venley's flashback chapters, there was a weirdly curious and nonviolent chasm fiend at one point, and it could I very well be the same one. That, but okay, I don't remember that one. It was either Venley's or Eshenai's. I don't remember, but one of their flashback chapters. I'll take your word for it. Like, I don't know how it all works, but uh, like we know that the Larkins have to have Spren bonds in order to grow to their full size, and we see that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spren are all over the Chasm Fiends when they're being killed, so let's figure they have to have Spren bonds in order to reach their full size. And Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, so don't... what if what if the, the Shattered Plains Chasm Fiends, A, can bond with Void Spren, which B... Gives them increased intelligence, and C traps the void spren inside in a way that it doesn't really have much agency at that point. So, from what we've seen with the large creatures, there's one particular spren that they seem to bond with that allows them to get big. We've we know chasm fiends are big, like you said, Tori. They're bonding with something. We have the giant great shells or whatever that the people live on. In, in the water, the Eerie, I believe it is. They have some bond with a Sprin that makes them gigantic. That's the Reshi Isles, I think. Reshi, thank you. And, well, uh, and we have Lux Sprin for the Larkins, so they can get big. And we have some kind of Music Sprin for the Rushodium, so they get big. Well, they get now, slightly bigger. In the case bigger, of the two that we know, they seem to be big. they seem to be non-sentient Sprin um, that they bond with. Lux Sprin and the Music Sprin are not fully sentient and and they form bonds with the animals okay so well, for the, the parshendi also bond with the non-sentient spren to get their forms right for the really big crabs um they bond multiple spren and they're generally the uh i want to say the the lux spren what are they called in the cognitive realm they get they get tied to boats oh i don't remember but like that helps them basically defy even the lighter um, Roshar and gravity enough to counter the square cube law. Right. But like there's they bond to a bunch of them. Uh, not Santhids. Santhids are the the squid things with a turtle shell on top. What? So is, I just actually pulled up great shells in the Coppermine wiki, and it turns out that great shell is an overall family that includes chasm fiends and. Taina, which are the the great shells that are in the uh, water. Yeah, big big crabs. So so they are directly related. The great shells of the islands are directly related to chasm fiends. Like, I mean, at this point, I doubt they're the same species. Like, I don't think they could interbreed. But and there's something that was ancient guardians, uh, lancerans, mandras. There we go. Thank you, Hamija. Mandras are what I was thinking of. Anyway, yeah, the big crabs. Oh, they're they're larkin. Okay, got it. Big crabs bond with uh, bond with spren that let them defy gravity, and they bond with a bunch of them, which allows them to get as big as they are. Uh, I want to say sky eels also bond with those same spren, which again allows them to to fly. Mandras are type of spren. They're called luck spren, chasm spren, and a word that I'm not going to pronounce. Numuhuka makiaki tokoai. Numuhuku makiaki ayalunamore. Yes, thank you. <laughs> anyway, they can bond with a bunch of spren at once. Yeah. What I'm suggesting is that they are also capable, potentially, at least in one specific case, of basically trapping a uh, void spren of some sort. Maybe the same void spren that 
was talking to Venley for years. We we know who that is. U- yeah, he's Ulu? got a name. I don't know. Whatever. Ulula, like they're around. We, we see that. Ulim. Yeah, Ulim. That's the one. And I'm suggesting we that that doing that a traps the void's friend and b gives the chasm fiend greater intelligence, which then you know allows it to I hang, f- hang out and not eat people. I feel like the bond has to be somewhat mutual, uh, and I don't think a void friend would want to bond with a great shell now. According to the Coppermine wiki, Great Shells bond with Mandras, specifically with Mandras. So I'm not sure if they're capable of also bonding with Voidsprint. Well, we see that Venli is bonded with the Voidsprint that gives her her form and also with her Radiant Sprint. Well, she's not bonded to both. She's bonded to her Radiant Sprint. The Radiant Sprint has captured the Voidsprint. She is bonded to both. She's bonded to the Void's friend uh, via trapping it in her gem heart, and she's bonded to Timber uh, via a traditional radiant bond. For, for that right, matter, Timber does it have is, to be hey, is controlling be, the Void's friend? Does it have to be willing on the Spren's part because the Parshendi are getting their forms from the non-sapient Spren? So, like, how do we know they're willing to make that bond? The Spren, I mean, like. I feel like the Parshendi are a special case. Taking them, like... So, my conjecture for needing a Voidspren for the Chasm Fiend is one of timing. uh, Because why didn't this happen before? And if it's it's because they needed a Voidspren, then, well, that's why it didn't happen before. There weren't Voidspren around. From what we've seen of how the the Parshendi take different forms... It looks like they are sort of asked by honor, is this what you want? And the answer is, you know, yes or no, whatever it is. Um, not that it matters. And then it happens. So I think there honor seems only to be asks some that one influence time. from the Stormfather. Um, probably there was influence from honor originally, which is probably why it worked differently when it was honor who was allowing the different forms versus the Stormfather. No, I, I think when we saw the Stormfather asking, is this really what you want? I think that was a special case because that was the Voidbringers coming back. You know, like, I, I think he saw it coming and he was like, are you sure? I, I don't think, you he's think it just sort of happens. Him. I don't then... think he's out there asking every time. Right, right. Well, that's what I mean. It's I still think my, my point is that it's it's facilitated by the Stormfather. It's not OK. He's not he doesn't ask everyone, but. I feel like there's still some influence there. I, I, I feel like the Brashendi are a special case, is what I'm saying. Like, they can sort of force the bond by taking the sprint into their gem heart. Now, I will also point out in Tembra's um, Coppermine entry, it especially says he resides within Venli's gem heart and can capture other sprint residing there. That's what Tembra is doing. Well, I think uh, Mike's theory of Great Shell's bonding with Void Spren is at least possible. We don't know that that's what it is, but it is possible um, because we do see that the Great Shells are bonding more than one Spren, like multiple Spren. And uh, Word of Brandon says that the Radiance can have more than one Spren. We've seen that Shallan has more than one Spren bond. We see that Venli has more than one Spren bond. So, um who says they all have to be the same kind of sprint? For that matter, we know that shard plate is formed by bonding with other sprints. So there you go, multiple. Okay, sprint okay. Bonds, so just to clarify here, because I feel like you're just saying all oh, the sprint are possible. We know families of sprint are related, much like other species on Earth are related to each other. 
All I know from the Coppermine wiki is that Great Shells bond with Mandras, which are a, t- a family of Spren, which includes Lux Spren, Chasm Spren, and some kind of uh, other Spren that I don't know what it is. Like, they're all of the same family. Now, yes, people form multiple bonds with multiple different Spren. I think that's fine in the case of humans and Parshendi because they Plus have years, more please. agency. I, th- I just think that animals have a certain affinity to a type or family of Sprint, and that's what we have seen in the books. So that's why I'm not convinced they are bonding with Void Sprint, because you're basically saying, how about this completely different Sprint that's unrelated to those that they normally bond with? That's completely fair. Okay, but we're also seeing behavior that's completely unrelated to what they normally show. So yes. wouldn't it make we don't, sense? We, I, we just don't know enough. Wouldn't it make sense that that behavior is tied to another thing that they don't normally do? Uh, maybe, yeah. But I don't know. Void Sprint to me is a stretch. The, the the actual listeners that we find at the end, like they have no bond. They don't want anything to do with Void Sprint. So why would why would a Great Shell bonding with a Void Sprint allow it to be more docile? It just seems counterintuitive to me. I think if we're going to go with this spren bonding theory that sure it's a bonding with a different spren but not a void spren i I don't know what kind i'm I'm sort of wondering if we're going to get more as we explore uh risen's bond with cherry cherry because i feel like there's some similarities there all right i have something that we should probably go into uh which is what miss knight wrote on january 11th okay. uh, which is in episode discussion in the spoilers allowed section if you guys would like to follow me there uh the big spoiler one about vin and zane basically the like how future site functions um uh hold on my investiture real quick because I, I this i feel like this is a completely different tangent do you mind if i mention two more spoiler things before we get into this discussion i guess I, f- I feel like this is unrelated, that's sort of why, um, to the chapters. Uh, I wanted to point out that Halloran got, we know his shard, he was thinking about joining the Skybreaker. I don't think that's from the Skybreaker, like, I think that's an old shard blade that he has, but we know he was in the process of trying to become a Skybreaker. Um, I, okay, so he tried to join the Skybreakers, they turned him down, um, the Devar family is tied into the Ghostbloods in multiple ways. I'm thinking that the one of the earlier, I guess, attachments was through Heleran, and that's where he got his blade and plate. You think they're from the Ghostbloods? Right. And I think one of his assignments, one of his like early assignments in getting the blade and plate from the Ghostbloods was to kill Amaram. Yeah. Which clearly he was there to do. And we know the Ghostbloods are not fans of Amaram. Yep. And and generally the Sons of Honor. Okay. Uh, and so. the other, the last thing I wanted to mention is that the sketches that Shalon gets from Amaram, they actually mention, let's send these to Theta Car. So these are sketches of the Shattered Plains. So, and uh, as we know, Theta Car is our boy Kelsier. We don't know that. We're pretty sure of that. We're we're like ninety percent right, but we don't know. We're not we're not completely certain of that. It could still be a character we haven't met yet. Operating under the assumption that is Kelsier, why does he want 
sketches of the scattered planes. Like, how does this get him towards his ultimate goal of being able to leave Skadriel? Because I believe that's what Kelsier's looking for. He's a cognitive shadow, but unfortunately, like most cognitive shadows, he is tied to the planet that he is from. Uh, I this think... is not the case for endowments, cognitive shadows, because that's something specific to what endowment can do. I at least think what Kelsier maybe. wants, assuming that he is in fact Thydekar, is generally more as much information on Roshar as he can get. Um, because there are cognitive shadows there that have been around for thousands of years, and barring some fairly severe uh, mental illnesses, at least some of the time, they're sane. He wants to know how. He wants to know what he needs to do to keep himself as sane as possible for as long as possible. So you think he wants info on, like, the Heralds, not not how to leave the system? He might also want info on how to leave the system. Okay. Or maybe not. Maybe he's happy hanging out on... Uh, Controlling on, from Scadriel? Scadriel. Yeah. Like, he's basically a mob boss at this point. Yep. Like, he doesn't personally need to go places and oversee things. He has people he can send. Well, the, the whole point is, I think this might be the first reference we have of Thetacar and how Moraes was giving someone instructions to get Shalon sketches to Thetacar. I wanted to point I that out. I want to say his name was was mentioned in the first book somewhere. Same with Rastaris. It could be, yeah. But this is this is sort of like we're getting more information about the ghost blood. So I, I wanted to pay special attention to that because we know more about Thetacar now than we did in the past when we first read this. Right. Uh, all right, so what's your second thing? That that was all of it. I had, that was three things. I'm done. Okay. Uh, so then, Tori, would you like to read out what Miss Knight wrote so that we're all on the same page here? Sure. So, new listener Miss Knight says, My question is centered around the fight between Vin and Zane. Knowing about Taravangian's ascension and his comment about how he can see possibilities but does not know what's in men's hearts, does that give some credence to Vin's victory? If ATM shows future shadows, does that mean shadows of possible choices were created by Vin clearing her mind and not producing a choice until the very last second, thus creating an opportunity for her victory? Um, all right. So the way I think future sight basically works in with regards to investiture is basically it's it's possibilities of what is likely to happen based on the information you have, right? So, like, if yeah, you if tracks. you burn ATM, it gives you this huge amount of information about your immediate area and then allows you to process that in a way that you can then act on that information. Does, does, know, that, does that more or less track? I'm sort of wondering yeah, if, so. if that's true anymore. What if, what if ATM, this is just sort of a getting a thought in my head, what if ATM doesn't necessarily look at possibilities, so much as that it's looking at choices. It's looking at the choices that a person is making, given the information they have at the current time. So you can react faster to someone actively making choices in their head versus the actions that they are taking to make that happen. I think we're saying the same thing in different ways. Because, well, then, sure. Because, okay, so if you have perfect information about your immediate area, or area which includes the choices that the people around you are making, they're yep. working from static information, right? Yep, yep. Whereas you are working from now enhanced information, 
you can make different choices based on the choices other people are making. Other people mm -hmm. can't change their choices based on what you're going to do because they don't have that. As soon okay. as they have that information, then everything gets muddled and we get into ATM versus Electrum fights, right? Right, because Electrum is, you can't necessarily see everyone's choice, but you can hide your own choices. That's what I think Electrum is doing. Right, so as soon as your future site interacts with someone else's future site, everything goes plaid. Yeah, exactly, yes. Hey, look, uh, another Mel Brooks reference. But, like, up until that point, because you have the ability to basically alter your choices based on what you know other people are going to do, you then have, you know, this, this better future site. Uh, and what we see from Teravangian is future site extrapolated from way more information than he has ever had access to before. Okay. So, like, that's that's sort of how shards do their, their guessing about what's going to happen in the future. You know, some are better at it, some are worse at it. It's all about how much information they have access to, I that's think. That's pretty fair. And the combination of Teravangian and Odium Shard is this just tremendous amount of information, which right. Teravangian is then able to, you know, use to have this, like... Ex the best future site that we've seen in these books, but as as soon as, you know, the Odium Shard attempts to future site anything to do with Renarin, who also has his own much more limited, but still still their future site, then everything goes dark, right? Right. It's ATM versus ATM again. Right. So even though even though he's got like this way more way more information, way more power, he can just pour more into it. Like, as soon as it interacts with... And, and I bet it would be the same with someone uh, with someone who also had whatever version of Future Sight is available to their their investor. So, Six of the Dusk with with his chicken. Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. his death chicken. Yep. Um, you know, anyone That's from really Scadrial burning Electrum. It would, any other shard, for that matter, because they all have Future Sight. Yeah, any other shard, which... It's probably why shard versus shard is so difficult. And then, yeah, Preservation likely had just that tiniest bit of more information than Ruin, and it was enough to make a better guess. It is curious, because I would hazard a guess that Cultivation is probably one of the best at having Future Sight. Ah. It sounds like it's something up her alley, because it's all about cultivating something to be... I would guess that Ambition actually had the best. Hmm. That so... was probably why Ambition was the most dangerous. Okay, that's fair. Uh, it would also explain why none of the other shards uh, wanted to stop that. Yeah. Uh, in in fact, like, so we have some evidence that Odium was getting help from um, Autonomy, right? Yeah. Um, it's possible that with the Ambition thing... And Mercy, I think. Some of the other shards were, were, if not directly, then indirectly, you know, helping out with that. Because Ambition as a shard is scary. Do do I recall the epigraph correctly? And it was also mercy that helped with that. Uh, potentially. I don't remember the exact wording, but yeah, I I remember there being something about that. Well, so given the shards that we that still exist, I think cultivation is probably one of the best ones. Although harmony might be a special case now since he's preservation and ruin combined. I would still think preservation was better than ruin, which is why preservation won in the end. Um. 
yeah, I, th- I think cultivation might be the best of those that still exist. Uh, I would actually go with the survival shard that we know practically nothing about. That is probably what was it? In- invention, I think it. Maybe I don't know. Or it could be the the sixteenth shard that we don't have a proper name for. Yeah, we still we're missing one more shard. Mm-hmm. Brandon, why do you do this to us? And the survival shard is going to turn out to be whimsy because that's how you cope with trying times—is <laughs> you just or it's stick. dive into yeah, right. Oh my <laughs> stick. gosh, it's stick. stick. That's the one. Yes, this is proof. It's stick the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, so so going back to uh, Miss Knight's thing. Uh, he does point out that Taravangian can't see what's in men's hearts. That I think is the important thing. He can see possibilities, but not what's in men's hearts. So I think this is sort of what Vin was doing. Like she, she knew what was in her heart, but she was trying to actively not make any choice until she saw like the glimmer in Zane's eye or something that let her know what he was doing. Okay, so um, one thing that I'm seeing as a theme is uh, future sight um, as the bad guys are using it versus as what we would call the good guys are using it. Um, right. So um, on Scadrial, for example, ATM gave you that limited future sight, but ATM was the god medal for the bad guy, right? Um, yep. And then on Roshar, we've got, oh, the Voran religion tells us that uh, predicting the future is a thing of the Voidbringers. Like, do not do that. That's bad. Yep, but yep. at the same time, we have the Truth Watchers with their limited future sight, and we know that they are not of the Voidbringers. Like, they're the good guys. So could it be that the future sights are... Well, hold well, on. What, no, 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 no. Like, what they're seeing is either what's in men's hearts or not. Like... The bad guys can see potential choices, but they can't see what's in men's hearts. I'm suggesting that the good guys see it the other way around. Like, I believe that this person will do the right thing because I know what's in their heart. And so I'm predicting that that's what's going to happen kind of thing. So I agree with that. But I will point out that, again, Renarin is not a real truth watcher. We don't know true watchers can even see the future. We know Renarin can see the future. Uh, and I believe we speculated at one point that the reason the Voran religion came up with the looking into the future is bad is because Honor sucked at it, and Odium was really good. Right. That so, was one of our theories. So, like, yeah. any time Honor tried to tried to go future v. future against Odium, he lost. Well, it could also be that any time anyone tried to see into the future, oh, yeah, we know they're working for the other guys, so it must be bad. Well, but we know Cultivation is good at it. She's the one who set up Dalinar to be in the perfect position to, you cannot have my pain. Um, and apparently she was the one who set up the domino of Taravangian killing off Reese. Like, we know Cultivation is good at it, and she's on Team Good Guy as far as And Cultivation's knew. use of it is way more subtle. Right. Uh, in in the same way that, like, the, the games of chance that... that are Voren approved aren't actually looking into the future just trying to guess what what is unknown about what's around you yeah seems like a more subtle version of that uh i i do like what you had to say tori and i feel like truth watchers looking into men's hearts would be a thing that they can do like it sounds like that's something they should be capable of doing or maybe it's like an offensive versus defensive kind of thing like you can't use electrum to you know murder a million coloss 
Right. Uh, but you it's can you can use Electrum to keep an Inquisitor from murdering you for slightly longer. Right. It is interesting. And and I, I, I like that you guys pointed this out, because I didn't really think about this general theme of looking into the future bad guy versus good guys and how they use it and what everyone says about it. It's a good point, because we didn't get any of that on Malthus. They don't really look into that. Well, no, they do, because Light, cause, uh, Light Song has his vision, his future visions. Um, every Returned has some sort of future vision. Right. Which is, which is a, an indirect and more subtle way of of giving some sort of future hints from endowment. Um, mm. I had something and it's gone. Oh, so when we actually went over this in the chapter, uh, I came down pretty hard. And I think Dave was with Dave also in that, like, Vin won twice and it was kind of dumb and unnecessary, or at least it felt that way at the time. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole theme should be that she gained trust with uh, Tensoon, not she can see something in his eye and break ATM. Right. Um, but if if the point of that scene wasn't, you know, give Vin two wins that she really only should have gotten one, and instead was, um, here, this is a small, a, a short guide into, like, how Future Sight works. Remember this for later. You, there will be a quiz. Hmm. Then that works a little bit better yeah. for me, at least. I like it. So it's just what Teravangian said. He can see possibilities, but not inside men's hearts. Like it's it's still frustrating in that it, within that scene, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if if it led to something bigger later, then it's a little bit better, but still not great. Like uh, you I guys... think I'll I'll excuse that as one of Brandon's earlier books versus you know Stormlight Archives. You guys remember Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one? Yes. Yes. Remember when the plot stopped completely dead so that the collector could give exposition about the Infinity Stones for ten minutes? <laughs> yes. And it was a terrible scene in in the movie, but it was good for all I mean, of Del Toro. Right, but also it it was a terrible scene for the movie. It did nothing for that movie. It just advanced a little bit of the of the overall MCU plot. Yeah, it's for the MCU. That's so, what it was for. Same kind of deal. Right. Shouldn't have been in that book. Should have been somewhere. I don't know. I don't know how you do that better, but I didn't like how it was done. Okay. That, that could be fair. So, all right. I believe we have uh, adequately addressed Miss Knight's thing that I promised to go into. I believe so. Uh, all right. Do we have anything else or are we, are we good for the week? Well, I'm good. good. We have Next not had a recording. really good, guys. I can't wait. We have not had a recording this long since the Rhythm of War stuff. This has been a long one. Craig, you got to stop missing weeks or stop bringing more stuff after you miss weeks. I This wasn't my fault. We had other discussions. My things were quick. You didn't even talk about the restaurant at the end of the high storm either. I did not. So, all right. Bye, everybody. You don't want him to start now. Bye, Good internet. Night, internet. <laughs> this has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast, or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.